Stephen Cluxton is on the pitch. He is togged out for Dublin. Are you sure he's not a mascot, Joe? I am 100% sure he's not a mascot. Stephen Cluxton is part of the Dublin panel today. I'm surprised as anyone, Joe. Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. I'm delighted to say Keith Wood is with us. Keith, good morning to you. How are you? I'm very good, Jack. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, big time European knockout rugby is back. The, the club season, is, is it can feel long and interminable, particularly in this part of the world where we vaguely know what teams are going to make the playoffs from very early on. And luckily, Connacht have put a bit of a surge on. But this is where it really counts, this weekend, proper knockout rugby. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it kind of all counts, but which makes it awkward for everybody. But um, yeah, this is something I think that most of rugby supporters will be looking forward to. Um, um, sort of post-main season games, uh, knockout rugby, um, huge history, new types of history. Uh, you know, uh, Munster going down to play in South Africa, which I'm still not entirely comfortable with, I have to say. But um, but there is, there's a, there's... I think it's a, it's a lovely point for excitement coming on the back of the Grand Slam. You know, there's been a huge hype from a couple of weeks ago and now there's the opportunity for a little bit more hype again. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about all that stuff and we'll talk about the um, the nuances of the available players and team selection. But um, just generally, you wanted to chat about the, the state of the game at the moment. We've obviously been having these conversations intermittently over the last number of years. What in particular has you thinking about it at the moment? Just... I, look, it's funny. We had just when COVID started, uh, we ended up having a conversation. We're trying to fill a fair bit of airtime because there was no live sport and we mm-hmm. got a, a chance to, to ramble our way through, through everything. And, um, just looking, I, I think partly from some of the issues that have happened across, uh, over in the UK over the last period of time. So with that huge vote, the, um, the potential or the strike from Welsh players, the uh, disappearance of Wasps and Worcester from the Premier um, to uh, to reducing salary caps to a whole change now that seems to be happening with a raft of players from England moving uh, to to France and to um, to Japan. The game just seems to be making that huge change again because the money for the game now sits in France. There is the um, the mooted uh, change to this world competition, this uh, world competition every couple of years. Um, it just seems to be filling more rugby into a place where there seems to be too much rugby already. And I just, I, I feel as if um, the amount of pressure that's been put under clubs and players to actually survive at the present moment of time is pretty tough so uh, I think it's a really really nervy time for the game actually Is it greed? Is it money Keith? Is there just no thought put to the players' welfare? Uh, yeah Is it greed? Is it money? Do they both have to be the exact same? I don't know that they do I think it is money because um, uh, when you're looking at survival for clubs that makes it very you know very difficult Um the clubs have to make a profit to survive. That's the nature of it. And people often kind of bypass that idea as if the players are being squeezed too much. But I know that from a lot of the younger players in the UK, they're being offered very small amounts of money. And it's it's looking at the, the difference between the balance of 
what's worth the risk and what isn't. Um, and I think I've mentioned a couple of times before that um, the clubs can't really afford to play the players the amount of money they're being paid and the players can't really afford to play the game without being paid that amount of money. You know, so it's it, we're, we're caught in that sort of catch-22 situation where, um, I, look, I think there's too much rugby being squeezed into a season and I think that becomes part of the issue. So one of the conversations that they've had in the UK is if they can uh, have get it down to 10 teams, then the the players, the clubs will get their players for all their matches and there won't be matches on over the international weekends. I think that's a viable alternative and I do, I do think that that's where the game has to go. But having to have squads of 55 or 60 people isn't financially viable. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, to go back to some of the points that we would have been making at the time, I, I think that the players' unions are... I, I, I really can't understand how, given the experience profile of the people involved in, in the players' unions, they're not more powerful and they're not better advocates for the players. If the players had a, a limited number of minutes or games that they were allowed to play every season then everything would kind of automatically fall into place. If you're only allowed to play 30 games a season and the international team has you on call for six or eight or ten of those, then you've got a six or eight or ten game window, however you want to spread it across the year, and the rest of the time you can play club rugby. And then all of a sudden, everything literally falls into place because the players have decided that we're going to put our bodies on the line for a certain amount, and that's it. But there's no there's no sense coming from the players that they're ready to go. I mean, the Welsh players, I think, might be a touch paper for players realising that they do have genuine power. This product doesn't exist without them and they're the ones who are suffering the consequences of long-term injuries. Well, they do and they, they do have the power. Um, the The point is, are they willing to play less matches for less money? And, you know, it's it, like none of this kind of sits down really comfortably, but also the game has so many different shareholders within it. So you have... Um, you, you have the URC on one side, you have the unions on the other side, you have international rugby, you have the uh, EPCR, um, uh, you know, they're all different competitions. You have the you've, uh, World Cups. So they all vie for different pieces of the pie. They own their own rights within those those situations. Trying to get a blend of those to fit into that number makes it incredibly difficult. That's And that's where it comes. And when when you're then looking to try and have bigger markets, which I'm not necessarily in favour of, and I haven't been, um, you then end up with a situation where you've European Cup matches in South Africa, and there may be financial reasons for that to be the case, but with teams having to fly up and fly down there for a period of time, you can't tell me that that fits into player welfare pretty well. And... Um, and we're at the business end of a of a uh, of a long season, um, and the season seems interminably long, you know. And it's going to go then to a summer tour and a training camp, and then a World Cup. And you wonder where does it end at any stage, really, you know? And so I don't think they've got there. I think the idea of the world competition seems to make sense, but I still think everybody is trying to um, have their piece of the pie within that. And I don't know that that necessarily fits because you want to see your best players on the field more often. The game is very, very physical. You do need to have enough strength and depth. 
But the viability then comes to whether that strength and depth can, depth can be 50 or 60 people. And yeah. um, like, how do you manage that for a four and a half million salary cap or five million salary cap in the UK? You end up playing kids who are unprepared for the actual vagaries of the professional sport and then they're endangered. Like, it, it, it's very difficult to manage. I, I did want to ask you one thing about um, the post Grand Slam conversation because there's just a little bit of. of uh, of stuff bubbling up that we would have seen in, in messages and, and um, just anecdotal stuff as well about how the team needs to be more representative of the four provinces and obviously it's chicken and egg if uh, Munster are being 28-0 at home down against uh, Glasgow at the weekend then they can't really make the argument that those players were should have been playing for Ireland in the Six Nations but longer term how do we make sure that the player pathway is better so that there are more Connacht and more Ulster players and more Munster players on the team? Yeah, I look, I to be honest, I think it fits and has always fit into a cycle. And it doesn't have to be more representative of... It has to be the best players. I mean, this is not a... a sport's tough. You know, the better players who play in better teams get a better chance to play for their country. It doesn't matter what country that is, actually. And if you look at it, and I've looked at it for the last number of years, um, Leinster have been pretty much, you know, flying very, very high. They have they play a style that fits into the national style incredibly easily. easily. So if you are looking for the next player on the block, it's often easier to pick a Leinster player because they're more up to speed and you need you need that to be the case. Um, the responsibility goes on the provinces to be able to, to deliver more. I always think it's going to be difficult for Connacht because um, they don't have the depth of in- infrastructure that the other provinces have had, but they have been building on it over a period of time. They are getting more players into the squad more often. Um, it's you know, it, it goes down to a whole variety of different conversations we've had over the past. And, um, you know, that conversation of Victor Madfield discussing with Ewan Van Grand that um, Leinster get all the best players. Well, they get all the players that come out of the private schools at a higher level of preparation than some of the other ones. But the onus then goes on the other provinces to be able to counteract that benefit that is in Dublin and Leinster and not copy it because it isn't something that can be copied, but they have to think differently. They can't bemoan the fact they just have to do it better. And so they're, they have been building and I know they have been in Ulster and they definitely have in Munster building different structures to try and maximize the potential of the young guys that are coming through. And you do want as many players playing for a province that come from that province. You do because it gives and builds that sense of identity that a, a fan and supporter wants to wants to follow. So I do think it's happening, but it takes a period of time. And it, I would say that in the last 10 or 15 years, it didn't happen quickly enough. And so now it is happening, but it still is going to take a period of time to come through. But I, I can say with comfort watching it from an Irish perspective, that when I look at the under-20s play, and I look at the spread of those players, and I look at the quality of the guys that are coming through, you know that it's beginning to pay um, dividends and you just want to see it pay dividends faster and quicker, but it can only happen in the speed it can happen. It is narrowing that gap, is it, Keith? In your opinion, Leinster and the rest? Well, I, al- 
also think Leinster have been in a position of of strength because of the quality of the players that they've had through. It isn't just the number of the players, it's the mm. quality of the players, you know, and um, it is about bridging the gap. But if you look, I know it's kind of living in the past a little, but if you go back 15, 20 years, Munster were in the ascendancy and it does go in a cycle, you know, and at that stage, Munster couldn't even, like, it, they wouldn't have countenance losing to Leinster you know, which is which is interesting when you see what's happened over the last number of years. But Leinster have had the upper hand. Um, I would still expect Ulster to, to come much more to the fore, and I think they've they've still got a um, a young team, a pretty exciting team that have been a bit bruised this year. I thought this was the year that they were going to 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 go an awful lot further, and they you know um, they absolutely still could. And um, they end up having the biggest uh, game that they've had for a while at the weekend. So, um, but look, I'm I am convinced of it being cycles. I'm not. Um, but when you have a, almost a perfect storm like Leinster have at the moment, they have strength and depth all over the place, and they are a huge power in the game. But I don't know that that goes down to there being a huge amount of. Um, uh, uh, lack of ambition in the other places it hasn't been that at all but I don't think the processes have been right I think they're getting right now um, and I think it'll take a bit of time for it to work You mentioned the fact that Munster have to go down to South Africa play, to play the Sharks and the Stormers um, where, what, did you, what did you make of last weekend like 28 unanswered points for, for Glasgow in that first half was, was disappointing from a Munster perspective or, or you know is it turnaroundable I guess is the question um, I think it is, and I think it's it's quite interesting. If we go back to the start of the season, we would have looked at a monster team that didn't seem to have a huge amount of structure, seemed off the pace. Um, it took a while for Roundtree to bed in. He's a good, strong, honest coach who doesn't shirk any comments that's thrown at him in, a, in an interview. And I know he doesn't shirk it on the field either um, in terms of conversations with the players. But I think where Munster had got to it was pretty, pretty phenomenal from their start, actually, and uh, and I think with the squad. So, um, I I would have said consistently not to talk them down too much at the start, not to talk them up too much in the middle. They are a work in progress. They're also a team that when you get to playing good, really good teams, they need to be as close to full um, full strength for them to win, and. I don't know what it was. I, the attitude seemed wrong at the weekend. They, it was lackluster. It's just a poor. It was a poor game. Um, but I always think that you have to you have to look at a team that doesn't have the strength of, of, of depth as like Leinster have. When you look at Munster, you say you want to see them when they have their full full fifteen out, full twenty three out, because that's when you can see everything. Because it doesn't paper over the cracks, but that's what the Munster team is. Um, there isn't the strength and depth for them to consistently have very high levels of performance. I thought Glasgow played well, um, but bullied a monster pack, and um, and that's not good enough. And look, I think they were read the riot act at half time, and they performed much better in the second half, but not nearly good enough, really, for for what you'd expect at this time of the year. So, look, they have to get their their confidence up, squeeze into some seats, and fly down to South Africa. Um, 
play a game but you've no real idea how the Sharks will go because they've been totally up or down um, one thing I would hope to see this weekend is a big crowd that's that's one of the elements that is required for any of this uh, South African adventure to, to work it needs to bring more people to watch the game um, it needs to be something that's essential I don't know whether that's going to happen or not We've been hearing some rumours that it will happen, that those, those um, knockout ties will draw big, big crowds. But as you say, that's all. Uh, will, the proof will be in the, the um, crowd shots, assuming they're real. Um, I, what success then over the next couple of weeks from Munster's perspective, given that this is the start of a new era and they're trying something different and notwithstanding everything you've said is, is not an excuse, it's an explanation for where we are. How will they look back on this season if... What needs to happen over the next few weeks and to go, yeah, that was good? Well, I think if we were to make a, a sort of correlation to last year uh, or the last few years, actually, um, what they're looking for in big matches are big performances. And that kind of sounds like a bit of a fudge of an answer because everybody would be happy with a bad performance if they won, you know. But but what had happened over the last number of years were in some of those very big games uh, Munster failed to, to fire a shot and that can't be allowed to happen the progression that has happened this year is a little bit more inventiveness uh, a little bit more movement in in the back line um, different things happening than a kicking game right so it has to be that it has to be a mixture of course but it has to be it has to be that and with the players that they can they can put onto the field on Saturday I think they can go and win that game by having a very high level of performance. So that's what I'm looking for. I mean, that's what I'm looking for. But if they go down and become conservative and don't attempt to play um, and lose, that's that's what I think the fans have have kind of have failed for. The, the, the or have 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 been upset over the, the you, you know the idea that. You can get to those big games and not really try and get strangled by some of the other teams. That's been the progression that the Munster supporters haven't seen, and they want to follow their team. So, for that, they need the minimum level of of of, of what happens on a Saturday, which is a really big performance. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one quick question on the the other game um, involving the Irish provinces in the in the Champions Cup. Leinster are heavy favourites against Ulster, but. Uh, almost as big a turnaround from Ulster over the last while as there has been from Connacht where Ulster looked like a basket case like everything that they were trying was failing when something happened they they obviously uh, got everybody in had a conversation and completely turned their season around and they actually have all of their best players playing for them at the moment particularly in the back line and they look damn good well, this is the most interesting game of the weekend, and it's interesting not from a Leinster perspective because I still expect them to have a, a big performance and play very well, but from Ulster because the unspooling of Ulster um, came when they lost to Leinster earlier in the season, and they were so far ahead, and suddenly everything went wrong in the second half, and from then on in they lost a chunk of games afterwards, lost all their confidence, all their shape, all their aggression, all their self-belief almost, and now have eaten it back again. So, but this is like returning to the scene of the crime. So whether this one will actually work for them or not, um, I think this is the the biggest game that they'll have played um, in the last three or four years. Because um, if they were to lose or lose heavily or lose their confidence in this game, 
um, that could be uh, that could be very destructive for Ulster. So there's an awful lot riding in this game. Keith, we'll leave it there for now. Good stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers, gents. OCB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now.